This is Performance Anxiety on the Pantheon Podcast Network, and I'm your host, Mark. Today's guest makes me want to push through the rough times. Please welcome Blake Lewis. You might remember him from season six of American Idol, but there's so much more to Blake than being one of the most unique contestants on one of the hottest properties on television. He grew up with his mom playing bluegrass banjo, which is why he rebelled into electronic music. He was the first contestant on Idol to beatbox. So naturally, Blake talks about where all that began and how it helped him to get into his first professional band, Kickshaw. Soon after, he was insanely busy playing shows, making music, and doing a musical improv show that he really was not all that interested in auditioning for American Idol. But he went to support a friend, and things got crazy from the moment he registered. Blake is honest about how his season went, how it ended, the immediate aftermath, and what happened when the depression and anxiety kicked in. It's a fascinating story that's shaped his professional career to this day. He talks about the differences between the show and the Idol tour, and what he was and wasn't allowed to do on both. Blake has released four studio albums and one live release. To me, each one is better than the previous, and he has a lot of new music slated to come out in 2024. Check the music out wherever you buy and stream music. BlakeLewisOfficial.com is a good place to start. Follow him at Blake Lewis on Instagram or on the website for the latest news. Pick up a little of our merch at performanceanx.threadless.com or send us coffee money at ko-fi.com slash performanceanxiety. And now get ready to get your box beaten. Uh, I don't like that. All right, how about here's Blake Lewis on Performance Anxiety on the Pantheon Podcast Network. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> oh, what's up, ladies and gentlemen? It's Blake Lewis, and you are listening to Performance Anxiety. Please uh, feel free to check me out anywhere at backslash Blake Lewis. Hello. Is that working? I can hear you fine. Can you hear me all right? Yeah, hold on one second. That's Perfect. probably just my output. Let me see if I can use this. Where is it? Where is it? Is it, can you hear me now in this microphone? Yeah, even better. It's right? a little smoother. Oh yeah, yeah. podcasting one hundred and one. Oh yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> Turn that down. Um, is this just audio? Yeah. Okay, sweet. So we are, Ooh, man. Hey, I'm glad we got, we finally got this together. I know me too. Finally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it took a little while, but it often does. Check, check, check. Oh, I guess I can turn this on too. This will even be better here. How about here? Oh, your volume just dropped like crazy. It, it dropped crazy, but now how about now? There you go. Is that better? Yeah, I can. Yeah, yeah. Is that even cleaner? I think it might be. Okay, let me see. It Maybe. almost sounds like you're right here in my studio room thing. Excellent. Now let me turn that up. Is that better? Oh, sounds good. Okay, sweet. All right. I think that's good. It might be a little too much high end. Let me turn that down a little bit here. Check, check, check on the microphone. Let's see here. I think that's good. All right. I'm happy with it. 
As long as you're happy, then I'm happy. Excellent. All right. See, that's all that matters. The host is happy. <laughs> uh, what the hell with you guests? <laughs> so, the way I normally like to start this whole thing, and uh, my eyes are just going nuts. We've been snowing today, and we've had the heat all up, and so my eyes are dry. So, where, where are you at right now? I'm in Winchester, Virginia. Okay, nice. Yeah, home of Patsy Klein. So, yeah, so we, I called out of work. It's uh, not, a, not a bad day overall. Like I said, the way I kind of like to start this whole thing is to find out how you got into music in the first place. Like, was music big in your house growing up and were your parents really into it or was it something that you got into on your own? Yeah, music was uh, real big in my house. My mom is a bluegrass rock and roll singer. So I followed in her footsteps. I started singing probably around five only child making lots of noise as you do right on man i like <laughs> in the 80s you know yeah. and yeah i grew up uh you know listening to my mom and harmonizing and um watching her play guitar and then you know growing up finding my own voice and listening to the own my own music not my personal music but you know just finally developing you know, your own tastes in music yeah developing my own taste and like knowing what i liked and in the 80s was super eclectic so there was plenty oh. of music that was just fun and exciting you know it was awesome because you, you turn on the radio and it could be anything anything and then the birth of hip-hop and urban music predominantly entertained us through the 90s yeah. And, uh, and then I got into beatboxing and, and whatnot later just from being a weirdo <laughs> and making, <laughs> you know, comedy in general, just doing voices and, and stuff like that. I grew up on a street with like no kids. So I was just alone all the time, left to my own devices. And I was singing a lot and playing with your toys and doing all the voices for them and sound effects as you do. Well, yeah. I mean, if, if you're the only one there, you, you got to play both sides. Right. So, <laughs> and I did yeah. all day. So did you start playing any instruments or, or was it more singing for you to start with? Uh, it was all singing. I didn't play any musical instruments instruments uh, until <laughs> uh, we moved and I was on a street. We moved and finally I got friends. Yay. 10 <laughs> years old, Bothell, Washington, technically Briar, Kenmore area. And I all of a sudden was on a street with like 22 kids. I just remember like everyone had a brother or a sister, you know, there was tons of houses just chock full of friends, you know? And I was just, hi, I'm Blake. Hi. Hey, what's up? Hey, I'm Blake. I'm Blake. I'm the new kid. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and, you're excited uh, about being the new kid. And everyone started playing piano from the same teacher. So I started at 11 and kind of ended when I was 15 and then I got into a professional boys and girls choir at 13 and we traveled the world oh, and wow. went to, went, well, not the world, I should say. We went to the UK and Wales and did competitions and New York. And then, I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't stop me from singing or playing. I started picking up the guitar, any extracurricular activity was all music all the time. So is that about the time you started really figuring that this is what you wanted to do as a career? I knew exactly what I wanted to. It was like when I went on the tour to the UK and Wales with the Columbia Boys and Girls Choir, being away from my parents for the first time, 
going through puberty, being around girls, you know, just like singing the camaraderie, the, just like the tight connection sonically with harmonies and, and choral music. I, I was in love with that. I love classical music cause I was playing it on the piano and I love contemporary music as well, but I, I, my not so smart self was like, Oh, you can play those songs. <laughs> you know, so I, I just used the piano as tools to write my own music. I wasn't ever besides Chopin, Bach, Rachmaninoff and like Debussy and, uh, I didn't really play any contemporary music and all the choir stuff I was singing was all choral. And so I wasn't really exposed to it besides my parents' music and what I, you know, started finding my own taste. Okay. Uh, but I didn't put two and two together for a long time to be like, Oh, I could <laughs> be playing all these songs that I love. Like, Oh, I could be playing you too. And Duran Duran Depeche Mode on the piano and, <laughs> And all these like things and you know i didn't have any synthesizers and i loved them i just you know uh i don't my parents weren't in the know to like oh yeah you could get these other instruments and my mom was more organic side and i wasn't really into that stuff you know as soon as i became a teenager and right you know i was like what are these synthesizers you know <laughs> what does this sound like I, i'm it's all about exactly sound opposite of what mom's doing Exactly. You know, you know, she's got mandolins, banjo, fiddles and acoustic guitar. And I wanted, <laughs> you know, Juno's Jupiter's and, you know, any kind of synth I could get my hands on. Right. Oh, yeah. That didn't happen until I was out of the house until I I saved enough money to, like, make my own studio. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Pantheon Podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com pantheon. Buyraycon.com pantheon. Before you skip over this ad, give me one minute. Like most podcasts, I pick sponsors carefully and I use the products that advertise here. Pure Spectrum CBD is a product that has been really beneficial for me. They have a wide variety of great products that can be used on a daily or as needed basis. 
I've been using the tincture every day and it's been wonderful for easing anxiety. And I absolutely love the isolate. I use it instead of acetaminophen or ibuprofen and it's worked so well for the relief of aches and pains. They also have soaks, lotions, salves, gummies, and more, plus an entire line for fitness recovery. They even have products for your pets. See everything they offer at PureSpectrumCBD.com. And if you have questions, they're there to help. They helped me when I had no idea where to start. After you fill your cart, use code PERFORMANCEANX for 15% off your purchase. PureSpectrumCBD, PureSpectrumCBD, PureSpectrumCBD. But yeah, high school was like, I was totally the 90s trip hop, breakbeat, trance. Tra- I loved all the music coming out of Europe. I didn't really listen to a lot of American artists at all growing up. Is that I when- listened so, so much coming. All the imports. I would go to the record stores and just oh. be like, what can I get? What can I get? Is that when the beatboxing started? Beatboxing started in high school when I saw an acapella group for the first time this group called impact and this beatboxer matthew selby who is also like the like one of the song arrangers and just he's an amazing amazing composer he's disneyland's like main person now which is crazy oh wow all of the properties like if you go on property he's the one that's like arranged all the music that's live and all that stuff but when i met him you know i was just this gangly nerdy kid with braces in high school and i went up to him after i saw the concert and i was like what how 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 long you been doing that and i i remember exactly because it was the first month south park south park ever came out which oh yeah august of like 97 so this is a little later because they were just showing reruns because it hadn't been popular yet and i could do the whole a whole scene with all the characters. And so I was like making this beatboxer laugh, you know, became instant friends. And then I started opening for them, you know, doing like five minutes of beatboxing in front of an audience, you know what I mean? And that was kind of my first exposure to that world because I loved acapella music. Like I, I like all music. I mean, I love all music. I literally will listen to anything depending on moods. But during that time, acapella would... And some of it was like super cheesy, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then these guys were not like all their arrangements were incredible. All their voices were uniquely incredible and the arrangements and just sonically, I was like, how is this six guys? Like, this is insane. And him as a beatboxer was incredible. And I told him uh, the next week I, I, I saw him after that show, I was like, I'm going to be a beatboxer. And he's like, all right, kid, slow down. (laughs) And then the next week I came to their next show and I could beatbox. And he was like, I've been doing this for years. How did you pick this up in a week? Because I subconsciously was, you know, making noise my whole life. And and technically I was beatboxing, but I didn't know it was called that. Vocal percussion, beatboxing. And at the same time that that happened, MTV had their hip hop month and Rozelle was on all the time like I, don't, I feel like it was yo mtv raps oh okay or yeah i think it was yo mtv raps and and then that unlocked me to the world of hip-hop i was already into hip-hop but i i, I didn't know about the roots i only knew about dougie fresh and the fat boys just like a little bit oh, like yeah. it, it did, I, my brain didn't yeah. connect that it was like beatboxing you know 
once you see it live, it's, it changes your whole perspective. You know, right. uh, to me, beatboxing is a live art form. Like I can, and, you know, and to a listener's ear, they're just like, Oh, it's drums. You know, they don't, they can't see that. It's a, a human mouth right. that's making noise. So it's very much, especially with sound systems and subwoofers, beatboxing in front of an audience is just more impactful. Oh yeah. It's, it's, I've seen it a, a couple of times and it's, it blows me away every time because I, just like you're saying, how, how is somebody's mouth making this noise? Especially when it's, it seems to be like there's multiple things going on at the same time. That's what blows me away. Yeah. It's beatboxers today are, just, they blow my mind. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like the old school kid now, you know, yeah. like when, when I came out, like my style was, was new and you know, here I am. God, I don't even know. 25 more longer. I guess it's almost 30 years I've been beatboxing, you know, and now these, these, there's 15 year olds that are out there that can do like three sounds at once. And they're doing crazy, like breathing techniques in and out with each, like, you know, except yeah. that sounds dope. It doesn't yeah. sound like I'm, you know, it's not like I'm you're like, joking. It's more I'm like, my throat's not doing that. What do they got? Like an extra larynx or extra, you know, <laughs> tube? what's going on? You know, there's this beatboxer in Seattle. I forget his name. I feel like it was Otha. Otha. And he had this big gap his teeth and he could do this crazy whistle beatbox it was insane so oh, wow just like vocalists every tone's different every voice is different and same with beatboxing you know there's similar styles and people can similar things but some some people can do sounds that i can't make or will ever be able to make you know what i mean because yeah. they're the shape of their 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 system right exactly so all this was going on was this when you were in kickshaw or was that before so I got into Kickshaw because of Matthew. Um, I was okay. at a jazz festival. Matthew was g giving a clinic, and at the end of it, he's like, "Hey, I'm I'm moving to California to to work for Disney, and I need a replacement." And I was so hoping he was gonna be like, "I want you to be my replacement." <laughs> um, but he's like, "I have uh, this guy, Jake Moulton. He's he's coming in to replace me, and this group Kickshaws is gonna need a, a replacement because." you know, Jake's coming here. So okay. I set up an audition for you. And I was like, I just got out of high school. Uh, I was 19. You know what? I think I was 18, like 18 and a half. It is January, February 2000. And, uh, I did, I auditioned two days in a row. And then all of a sudden I was in a professional singing group that was booked every single day for like four months. Wow. Holy crow. Yeah, it was, it was insane. So I basically got out of high school and my full-time job was to be a singer and I haven't looked back. That and, is amazing. Uh, I spent four years with those guys, love them still. And, uh, yeah, it was a, it was a wonderful experience. And at the same time I, I had, written singles for this hip hop group uh, and it landed on the radio with twist this song called take control with twista jumped on it oh, and wow. so I had, I had a number one in hip hop that i wrote in seattle which was crazy like what? regionally it was it was tracking when i was young i didn't know anything about the music business i was like oh i could have gotten paid for that stuff yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then at the same time i was uh hosting or I wouldn't say hosting, but um, emceeing these 4,000 people rave, 
raves, uh, big parties at this place called NAF in, uh, in the industrial district part of Seattle. You just stay busy constantly. And then I developed my own one man show. And then I became, I I was, I was known as B shorty in Seattle for a very long time. Uh, it was my stage name. And around 2002, my partner KJ Saka and I had our own show at at this place called Toast, which is no longer there. Helped open Nectar, which is another club on in Fremont in Seattle. And uh, we had our our own weekly show, which was all improv, and it was the best musicians in Seattle. Oh wow! Uh, Reggie Watts, uh, oh, yeah. solo beatbox comedian extraordinaire. Yeah, he's amazing. Uh, did a night with us, which was great. And we wrote, we ended up writing a song in the studio. So it was just a wonderful time. I, I was constantly surrounding myself by music, being in every venue, soaking it up as much as I could. And, uh, you know, developed a one man kind of vocal improv show, you know, just ask, you see all these guys on, on, you know, uh, social media, Mark Reblay and, you know, just freestylers. And, and that's what I do. I would just be like, all right, shout, shout something. What am I singing? What style am I doing it in? And I would try and make up like a vocal country song, <laughs> you know, and, and loop it and <laughs> just have fun with an audience. Sometimes it would go great. Sometimes it go bad. If it goes bad, you just move on, you know? Oh yeah. That's improv, man. That's, that's, that's the beauty yeah. of improv. It's beautiful. I mean, especially in like a, when you're playing with such monster players, you can just have so much fun. Like there's just so much freedom and I really love that. And I still do that. I still do it on stage all the time. I like to bring people up and sample them and make songs out of their voices. Now I noticed that on uh, your, your live album and we'll, we'll get to that. So, yeah, cool. So, all right. So I believe I read this correctly. Correct me if I'm wrong. So American Idol comes to town. And you were exactly, you didn't actually at first want to audition for him. You, you weren't interested in it. Had you, had you watched the, the show for the prior five seasons at all? Or were you not interested in it at all? I had not seen a single episode. I was not interested one bit. Um, I didn't even know they were in town. Um, I thought they were in town the week before, but I guess they're there for a week. I had a, a couple friends saying they were auditioning. I was like, cool, good luck. And then randomly one night, it was actually a reunion show at this place called the Triple Door in Seattle with my acapella group. And uh, I get a call. I I'm, I'm, got off stage around 10, 1030. And uh, my friend Josh, who's Aussie, calls me up and he's like, hey, mate, um, what are you doing tomorrow, mate? You know, like, <laughs> like uh, sleeping. He's like, well, he asked me, what am I doing at like 5 a.m.? I'm like, I'll be asleep. Like, yeah. what do you mean? Like a normal you know? person. Yeah. And he's like, I'm auditioning for American Idol. I want you to come with me. I'll make sandwiches or get, get us breakfast or whatever. Just like, I don't want to stand in that line alone. Right. And I was like, dude, I don't really want to. No, thank you. In Australia, no. breakfast is like Vegemite on toast. I mean, nobody wants Yeah, that. right. <laughs> Delicious. Yeah. <laughs> no, not so much. I don't like it. Um, but yeah, so. There goes my Vegemite what? sponsorship. Uh oh, watch out. So yeah, so long story long. <laughs> he uh he convinced me, he picked me up. We stood in line in pouring rain for like four hours. They finally let us into the building. Um Oh jeez. Yeah, it's, I'm like, why are you making us wait outside? It sounds like a <laughs> like, lawsuit waiting to happen. It was crazy. Yeah. So Oh yeah. Before that. So he convinced me on the phone that night. And so, but I had to go register. So luckily I was already downtown. I went to key arena registered, 
now it's climate pledge, I believe. And, uh, for some reason, so we got there, you know, it's going to be a long day. I mean, they, it takes forever. And for some reason they decided to go, Hey, whoever signed up the last gets go, go first. We're going backwards to front this time. Oh my God. So I got in and out of there like super quick and wow. they just lined four people up. You step up, you sing for 30 seconds and you step back and that was it. And they're like, you're good. You're good. You're gone. You're gone. And that was it. And that was the first audition. And so I ended up seeing another friend and I caught a ride with them home and I was like freaking out. I was like, what the hell? <laughs> you know? And, and then my friend was there for 12 hours and he didn't make it. So I felt bad. But, oh my gosh. You know, the, the luck of the draw, I guess. I, oh. you know, you know, That's uh, insane. and so, and then it was like a, you know, a rigorous, more audition, audition than the producers, then Paul, Simon, and Randy, then Hollywood week. And then the top 40 into the final show it was like seven, eight auditions, I think, just to make it in, you know, they're going through a hundred thousand people every year. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely mind blowing how many people audition. All right. So you're chosen to go. What happens in your personal life at that point? Because I'm assuming you can't hold down a job, a regular job or anything. You've got to be there, right? Yeah. So it's, it's kind of funny. I was, I, I was full-time musician. So, um, I was just playing shows, um, yeah. playing shows. I didn't have a job, but music I was, I had three to four gigs a week. I was, a. a a host of a burlesque show uh, called The Heavenly Spies oh, in, wow. at a place called The Can Can in Seattle, which is no longer there, in Pike Place Market. Super fun. Oh, cool. Um, and then I had my own night. And then at that point, that's um, for like two years prior to American Idols, I started writing songs for the first time, you know, trying to make my first album, Audio Daydream. And... Yeah, I just would take any gig I could playing downtown. I started learning a couple covers, which was crazy because I'd never really done any covers except for like more avant-garde things. And then all of a sudden this audition happened and that was like September of 2006. It's so crazy. That's like 18 years ago. I know. I remember and watching it the whole, the whole season. Yeah, and then... He had to go back for Hollywood week, which was like November, I think. And then you had to go back in January, which was the top 40. And that's when I found out I made it. And then like, I think like a week or two weeks after that, they brought us there. And that's when, when all the excitement began, it was crazy. It was like, wow. It was almost like a, I think like a five months audition process yeah um, and it was different every time too so how intrusive is it i mean it sounds like and it looked like there's cameras everywhere all the time and do you get any time by yourself when they're doing no. this thing? <laughs> no no <laughs> so getting there the first couple of weeks were weird they 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 took all the social media and back then there wasn't a lot of social media but but they right. took my youtube and my myspace and you couldn't access it. So they're like, if you get fans, you couldn't even access them, which was, which was super lame. Um, they kind of treated us like children. I was 25 <laughs> and 
I was just like, I'm not a child. I've been doing this professionally for forever. Right. And, um, so every day, I mean, it was an adventure. Like, uh, I tell people that I had the funnest time ever on that show. Cause I said yes to everything until I needed to say no. And I talked to everybody and like everyone, like the grips, the everyone backstage, the, the sound guy, the director were like, no contestant had ever done that. I would just go explore and talk to everyone because I love production, all aspects of it, like yeah. every single part of it. Like, well, that's where all the interesting so, stuff happens behind the scenes. Yeah, like how how does the how does the the cooks you know cook all this up? You know, so like where where are the chefs at? Like, uh, oh, I want to know. I want a taste of like everyone's. You know, <laughs> cake All like, tell me what you're working with yeah so i just had so much fun like uh it was incredible i wish i had more video and like pictures of like behind the scenes um but they they wouldn't let us take pictures and whatnot and i said f that i i took as much as i could nice <laughs> it was great like i had friends along for the ride that we got to do music videos every week. I got to meet my heroes. Like it was an ama amazing experience until the finale happened. And then it was just like, <laughs> it's bitter. And then it's like bittersweet and how they yeah. did me, they kind of did me dirty. So I was just, it was like the best experience until the last week. It was just like, so what happened in the last week? Because again, like this, you know, 2006, I'm trying to, and I'm, I'm trying to remember, the season as it goes. I know, the, I know your whole presence there was unique and different for everybody. Cause I think you're the first beatboxer they had. Yeah. And I was the first arranger. Like it's oh. funny because people are like, Oh, you beatbox so much. I beatboxed three times on that whole time. I was there for like maybe 30 seconds each time, but they kept showing it in all the clips. So it was annoying because they used it as a gimmick instead of an art form. first person that arranged his tunes the tracks the publishing that we could get for the songs mm -hmm. my own way there was people in my season two that were doing it great but for some reason america was like in mine which was great for me but that's what i took pride in like they give you like a, a rehearsal day an arrangement day and then you have rehearsals the next day but for arrangement day it's like all day and i would do it the night before so i could just do whatever i want but they wouldn't let us off the lot so it was kind of annoying i just uh -huh. skateboarded and listened to music all the time <laughs> um, but so the bittersweetness of it is they wouldn't let me do that in the finale we'll be right back after a word from our sponsors Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. 
we're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. And so the thing that set me apart and made me different and the song so they they make you sing a song that's written for the contestants at the end right uh and in later years there was a song written for every contestant but this one this song was written for jordan sparks like specifically and then they wouldn't let me put my spin on it and i and so i told them i i literally told them to f off to their faces every single person it was nigel lithgow simon fuller ken and um, I think maybe Megan was there to Megan Michaels. One, she's one of the main producers now. But and walked out, and that was the week before the finale. And then I had to record that song. And so, um, <laughs> in the finale, I bit my tongue because I was going to do a mic drop and just say thanks, America, and vote for Jordan Sparks. I wore a vote for Jordan Sparks T-shirt, and they made me take it off. Oh my god! Uh, you know, but I just uh, I had such a wonderful time until that. Sh- that fateful song that I had to sing. Yeah. Cause then I got, you know, I got Dougie fresh in the, in the finale and we, you know, we, I was the first person to bring hip hop to American Idol. Yeah. You know, and beatboxing and, uh, and artistry. Yo, what's up, yo? Put your hands in the air. Party. We're going to start this up. Let's go. Bring up some marquee. Let's Get go. Up. Mr. Blake, yo, fresh. in the show with fellas on the mic with one minute rhymes that don't come out right. They bite. They never right. That's not polite. Am I lying? No, no you're right. right. Well, tonight on this very mic, you're about to hear we, we swear. swear. It, it was it was so bittersweet. It's not tough talking about it now, but it's just like yeah, I, the things that I said I I was going to do and I didn't do them. I wish I did. You know what I mean? It's like. No regrets. I'm like, yeah, I got regrets, but it's, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't stop my day. Right. But <laughs> yeah. I bit my tongue because I thought it would it, it, to be polite. But I'm like, why would I do that? Like, I don't owe these producers anything. Like, yeah, they specifically but, did that. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's the last week. What are they going to do? On. We don't know what's going on. You know, they yeah. know who's in the votes. They they yeah. know all stuff behind the scenes. So. It was just so crazy. And, and and I don't remember half of it. Like yeah, I, I have friends that were there that came and visited me and be like, Hey, remember when this happened? And then, then this, this, this. And I'm like, I have no recollection of it. Cause it was like 18 hours a day of like, boom, 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 boom. Like what's, what's coming next? Oh, you're going here to meet this person. Oh, you got to sing for Jennifer Lopez. And then, and then you got to go over here and, and you know, it, it was just, it was nuts. It was freaking nuts. I can imagine. And I, nonstop. I so soaked up as much as I could, you know? And one of the cool things that I saw was that the week that you they send you home and they record you, you know, you get to go home for a while. You actually end up playing with Sir Mix a lot. Yeah. That is uh, awesome. And, and Pat Monahan from train was there too. It was, oh, wow. which was cool. Yeah, we did. <laughs> I like big butts in front of like 20,000 <laughs> people. Oh my gosh. That is awesome. That didn't get recorded. Did it? 
Um, I'm sure it did. I mean, I don't, and that's the thing is like afterwards, they don't give you a copy. Like there's no American Idol seasons out that you can watch. You know what I mean? So yeah. I can't even watch my season, dude. Oh, geez. it's really sad. Yeah. You know, everyone else has all these things, but because American Idol didn't have the contracts in place, nor was streaming a thing, right. even though it is later, but they could have changed it somehow. It, it's just the, due to the fact that the licensing of all these major songs, I, I don't know how there could be seasons, but it just, it just, it became a bittersweet thing. It's just like, Oh cool. I'm a con I was just a contestant on a TV show. You know? Yeah. But I mean, out of the th tens of thousands of people that auditioned, you didn't win, but I mean, second place isn't bad out of, you know, 10, 15,000 or more. Oh no, it's, that's it's still amazing. It's, it's, uh, it's amazing. I didn't want to win. Yeah. Well, and that's, yeah I get that now. on my own terms, you know, like <laughs> I understand. Yeah. I understand that now for sure. Uh, <laughs> so, all right. So American Idol's over and you go and do your first solo album. You, you start recording ADD. And the question I always, I've always wondered is after the show is over and you're not the winner, does the show have any reach into your career? Do they help you? Do they, do they guide you? Do they say what you can and can't do because you're associated with the show for a little while still? Well, that's where they get you. It's like they basically own you if they decide to option you and they optioned Jordan and I, and that was 19 management, 19 recordings. They sign you, they get, they get their, they double dip. They get management fees, recording fees of all your stuff. And they mismanaged me terribly, I think. And, um, they weren't really doing anything. I let them go after my album was out and, uh, yeah, I didn't didn't love them. Didn't love the experience because I'm. I guess I'm needy. I'm like, especially <laughs> being in, in an industry that you don't really know, and all these people are saying they're doing all their their jobs when they're really not. Yeah. Um, so the, after the experience after that was amazing because I got to record this album, pretty much nine tenths of it with Ryan Tedder of One Republic while they were finishing their first album. We played shows together. Oh wow, he's a great friend and. I met amazing people on that journey. Sam Hollander, who's a mensch, who's one of my favorite <laughs> songwriters on the planet. And, you know, just, I got to have my band on the album, all my friends. So it was amazing. But And I was recording it while we were on tour with American Idol, which was so much fun. The American Idol tour, I got to do what I wanted because I, the whole time on American Idol, I had my whole loop set up with me. And I asked every week if I could use it and perform it and just do a song, yeah. do a cover by myself for America, you know, with yeah. my loop pedals and then I can expose, then I would have been happy about the beatboxing and stuff. Cause then I could have done a full song, but they wouldn't let me do it, but they did on tour. They're like, heck yeah. So <laughs> I did, she will be loved into with or without you, you know, for cool. 60 dates and stadiums. And it was, it was great. You know, that tour was so fun. Just being with the top 10, all thing about our season is like everyone liked each other and we, we got along really, really great, which I had heard that uh, some seasons weren't like that. <laughs> that was a you question know, I had friends, for sure. Friends for life, you know what I mean? We yeah. we, we have a group text and we, we text like almost every week. So, oh, that's um, awesome. Yeah. And so that was, that's the best thing that I got out of that whole experience. And it afforded me to, to you know, make my first album and have a fan base in the pop world. And I'm eternally grateful for that 
opportunity. That's why that's like, it's, it's crazy because the only bittersweetness was literally the last week of that show. Yeah. When you encompass a whole year. Cause like from start to finish, like from audition to the end of the American Idol tour, cause I made it like it was a full year. I had two days. I had two days off in 2007. <laughs> oh my god! And the whole year of American Idol. That's amazing. Yeah, Christmas. God, <laughs> Christmas. Off. I mean, yeah, the opportunities. It, it it's it's blessed my life. Has been incredible, you know, and and the bonds and friends I've made with so many talents, you know, yeah. through that experience and after, cause after the experience I blogged for USA today and AOL and Oh, cool. Um, else for three years. So, I, so then I ended up watching American Idol for two or three years. Professionally. Post- yeah. Professionally. <laughs> Man, I wish I could, I, wish, um, I, and I would host, I would host like, I would host like American Idol watching uh, at my house and there would be you know 10 to 20 american idol contestants in my house watching the new season that was super insane. fun especially like the i guess like the second like two years after when i moved it back to la i went back home for a year after idol because i was just like i i was just like i was not ready i was not mature enough to handle fame i was like Talk about performance anxiety. <laughs> uh, I had it all. I'd, I I got really? super depressed. I got dropped from my label. Even I I made them millions of dollars. It was just all, all the things kind of came crashing down after the show. So I needed like a. I thought going home would be like a you know would be the thing which was like ultimately like the worst decision I made after that wave happened you know like you can't just get back on the surfboard and and ride you know yeah ride and see when there's there's no waves anymore you know right so it was like playing catch up uh, i didn't know what to do because getting dropped i'm like i just made you guys like millions of dollars and you dropped me clive uh, davis got fired like the the rollout of my album was just terrible it was really? it was just all the things i did not want to have happen happened and I had no control and my management, the 19 management people were not doing anything. They were just yes people to the label. They're like, anything you want. Yeah, cool. And I was like, you know, and I was like, cool. So I have no control. And then I just, you know, it was a downward spiral from there. I was just was like drinking all the time, smoking copious amounts of weed, having panic attacks, not knowing I was depressed. I didn't know this was depression or anxiety. I'd never had it before because I'm such a happy-go-lucky person and yeah. I'm always just working and going, going, going. And at that point, I was stopped completely and I just did not know what to do with myself because there was, you know, because they're like, Oh, you can't just go play shows because you're famous now. You can't just go do what you want. You got to do it this way and this way, that way. And oh, all these people telling me what I could and couldn't do. And I just was like, I'm going to go become a hermit. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I don't blame you. I stayed man. inside. I didn't go out. I like the only thing I did was like pick up my food takeout because I didn't want to like be in public. And I moved oh. back to Washington and people didn't know I moved back. Like my friends didn't know because I wasn't going out where I was like going out four to five days a week prior to American Idol. I was playing shows. I was just going, getting inspired by music and doing all these things. So it was a real big blow to my sense of self. And I really needed to figure out who I was again. And it, 
took took like two two and a half years so did you get a chance to support that album by playing out live at all or did it, well, most of that happen after the release because yeah, the, the, the management mismanagement and agencies they didn't put me out with my album being out i didn't go out till another year a year passed and i went out to do a tour that was and out I for a year before you tour them all the time i was like put me out. I'll go out with just a, uh, my drummer and guitarist or just my guitarist and tracks and my loops. So I like do this all the time. Yeah. You know, it's, it's kind of, it, it, it's like a double-edged sword because you get on this TV show and people are hype on you, but then the business side of things, they don't still don't believe you. I was like, I just almost won the show, but then you don't trust that I'm a good creative and a performer now. And, and also you've been doing it for years before the show. Yeah, it was it was weird. And, and coming back to Seattle, because I was on the show, all the cool things that I was doing, those people didn't want me because I was affiliated with it, that. You know what I mean? Uh, so all the cool festivals I was playing, I wasn't getting booked for because I was on a television show. It's like, oh, you sold out. You can't do this now. I'm like, uh, I'm still the same person. I was just on a freaking TV show. Like, Yeah. It was weird. It was so like my depression was real. And, you know, I was just hanging on by a thread just not really do anything i was like creating really dark music at that time that was like oh wow super artsy and totally not like my pop album i came out with the album i came out with i was like i'm making my michael jackson bad album like yes. this is this is what I, I got a budget for this like you know i got, ryan and i wrote some amazing songs and there's some amazing vocal arranging oh, on that album man that i'm super like, proud of it audio daydream it's I went, you know, I went back and listened to everything recently. And the, I think the standouts for me, how many words? I love it because it kind of, it, it sounds like Morrissey should be singing that. Morrissey is singing it. You, you definitely can pull him off. Um, That's my favorite session that I had for that whole album. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was Sam Hollander and Dave Katz. And we were in the studio that had Led Zeppelin's board, like console. Oh, the it Eve. was like Buddy Rich's drum set. Wow. It was like one of Jimi Hendrix's guitar. It was like this collector in... I think it was called Fairfax Studios or in Burbank. And it was this guy's like, it was like a soundstage. It was like one of those old like daytime, you know, soap opera soundstage converted into a studio. And I played everything. There's so much sound going on in that thing because I played everything. We wrote it right there on the guitar and piano. I went to the restroom to take a break and I came up with the lyric, this loves black and blue because my ex, her last name was blue. Okay. And, and Blake means black, uh, <laughs> you know? Nice. And so, uh, and so I just instantly transported to like, you know, letting go. And it was kind of like, also like letting go of idol and this new path. Yeah. 
And so that was a thank you. I'm so glad you like that song because that one meant a lot to me and still does. I still play it. Oh, it's the whole mm-hmm. album is amazing. It's there's so many different sounds like without you. It's a close runner up for for my favorite. That's that actually sounds like it could have been on American Idol. And I mean, you get so many vocal stuff. I mean, I don't know any other albums where the vocalist can do both Morrissey and Prince on an album. It's, it's amazing. And I love the interstitial stuff, uh, like ADHD and, and dirty funk. are so inventive I, I, oh thank you we only had a day to do it i i i love them because i got to do it with my band but it was so hurried up i i what i wanted to do which the label wouldn't let me do is like i really wanted to show off the beatboxing on this album and i needed like weeks to do that but they were like you gotta get it done, gotta get it done and oh. i only had one day a week to do this album because I was on tour with the American Idol tour. So I had, that's why I said I had no days off is because uh, I literally would, this show would be done. I would fly to whatever city or Ryan Tedder would come meet me wherever I was and we'd write a song and record it and finish it that night, basically. Wow. And, and um, on that night and day, the next day, you know what I mean? So it'd be like a day. And I was sick at one. There's like on what you got to lose. I hate the vocal performance. I mean, the, the arrangement's great. We had, I had so much fun. I co-produced that song, but oh my God, my vocals on that. That just sounds so bad. I can tell I'm sick. I'm just, I think I threw up in the studio that day too. And, and, and the label didn't care. Like I, 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 I like lost my voice for like three weeks and they're like, get in the studio, get in the studio. You know what I mean? They don't care. They just see dollar signs. But yeah, I'm so glad you like. I'm really proud of that album. I'm proud of all all the albums that I've put out. I or else I wouldn't put them out because exactly <laughs> I'm my own worst critic. So at Heartbreak on Vinyl, I'm assuming after that's after everything happened after you you split with with uh, RCA. Yeah, RCA, and so it came out what two years later. So that's that's not mm-hmm. unusual. But were you? What am I trying to say here? The album sounds a little more a lot more focused. Is, is that, I guess what I'm trying yes, to say. It's definitely more cohesive. I wanted to make a dance album, but but I'm super melodic, so there's still like kind of a ballad on there and and yeah. things. I mean, it's all over the place because I I got to work with produ- all, a bunch of different producers this time. Heartbreak on Vinyl was one of my favorite songs I wrote, and that was with Sam Hollander as well, who I did how many work how many words with, yeah. and we've written like seven songs now. Like I said, he's a mensch. He's, he's like one of the best in the industry. And 
just a, a man who knows what he likes and doesn't like, and he'll tell you right away. And I love people that are blunt and I love that. And writing songs with him is just having a conversation. And we wrote how many words or not how many words, uh, heartbreak on vinyl in like 40 minutes. Oh, wow. I was in New York and walking to the session and tower records in union square was shutting down and my like heart dropped. Cause I, I was walking to go in and I went in and I was like, this is the end. This is, this is like, this is like easy street shutting down for me in Seattle. That's right. like the number one record store. And I walked in the session. I was like, I know what we're writing about. We're writing about my favorite record store closing down. And, uh, it was just like a conversation and, and they had like, I think that maybe had the beat and the chords already. So it was, we didn't have to like, I was like, that's dope. That's cause he, cause I already told him what I had in mind, like what I was going for, like definitely more of an eighties vibe. And, and we, I mean, it was just magic. And, and I love that. I love it when it's magic. I had, I had just had a magic writing session this week. I, I wrote one of my, probably my new favorite song I've written in, oh. I don't know, a couple of years. So, Oh, that's awesome. Well, one of the things that I really like about your albums is that I can hear some of the influences, you know, like I mentioned Morrissey and Prince, but I like, I mean, rebel without a cause that I'm, I'm hearing some sting in that. Two months have come and gone since I walked out the door. You deserve much more Infinite reasons why I shouldn't let you go But I've shut you out my life How could I have been so cold Just cause I Yeah, I, it's the demo actually was so much simpler <laughs> It was it was definitely more like that It was definitely You know, it yes. had the up <laughs> uh, and, um, just as I rebel without a cause, why'd I leave? Why'd I leave? Why'd I have to be so rebellious? Yeah, <laughs> definitely. I'm a huge, like the police. I grew up on the police. I was yeah. like the police in dire straits, Duran Duran. Uh -huh. Um, yeah. I mean all the 80 bit eighties bands you can think of in YouTube, but like the police and Duran Duran and you two were like always on rotation for me. Well, as an aside, there's a, a guy I've had on the podcast. He's his band actually. They have a pretty good, uh, like an early Duran Duran sound, like a little more rock. But like he's he's got a good, does a very good Simon Laban. So if you ever interested in checking that out, it's the band called The Ritualists. They're really okay. They're really good. I love that. Yeah, they're 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 really awesome. He, uh, Christian Dryden. He's been on the podcast uh, once or twice, and uh, they play all all over the place. But anyway. Um, Rapture of Our Love, though, might be one of my favorite songs that you've done. Last night I dreamt of your hands in mine. Your touch made me feel alive. You told me that I was your favorite mistake. Destiny's intertwined. And it felt so.
ever. Thank you. I love that song. Rapture of Love. Awesome. Yeah. That, well, that that's uh, that's really nice of you to say because that's the first song that I ever produced by myself for one of my albums. So oh, wow, that came from a dream. I just woke up. <laughs> really. Um, yeah, I woke up and wrote it right then. I I, I just had a dream. And, uh, yeah. And, uh, that's kind of the trip hoppy song of the nineties. That's like my nineties trip hop kind of song, you know, but little, little Depeche mode, little nine inch nails. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, it's so funny. I, Cause once you make an album, you don't really listen to them any after they're done. You know I, what I mean? Yeah. I heard that a lot. Um, and I listened to that album the other day and I was like, I was definitely proud of myself in that moment. I mean, cause I couldn't mix. I, I can't mix for, for shit <laughs> better throughout the years. But that song, I was like, Oh, I would have done the vocals so much differently. You know, you go back and you criticize your stuff. You're like, Oh yeah. That's where I was at that time. You know? Yeah. And uh, I'm so glad you like it. Cause I was really like stoked on that beat. I was like, Ooh, I'm going to write to this. I think this one's going to make the album. At that time I had so many beats. I had retro romance, which ended up on, my third album, Portrait of a Chameleon. Yes. Um, whole beat was pretty much done i love the video for that song by the way thank you thank you that super proud of that so as great. well that's <laughs> so my one good music video i've made a bunch and i uh, that's my favorite oh one. man there's so many touch points on that you know max headroom shuffle shuffle mr belding got, got mr belding in there to do we wrote a scene and he said yeah and the weird science the, the weird science we put every reference we got the hulk in there we got lightsabers <laughs> we have all the video games. Like I went nuts with that song. I had so much fun doing the vocoder parts on that too. I, I spent hours and hours getting that, that bridge, like, just cause it was so fun. I was like, I could use like 20 of these takes, you know, you're just playing with vocoders. You have your, your voice recorded what you you're singing, but you could literally just talk it or, you know, it's, it's better if you're singing a melody, but, yeah. and then you just play key parts around it to find all the harmonies. And then, you know, you try and get it as robotic as possible. And yeah, I, I had so much fun making that song. Well, I, and I don't know, I'm going to pronounce this wrong. Kylie or Keely Thorne does a hell of a weird science, right? Yeah. She yeah. nailed it. Yeah. Was, yeah. She was, uh, at this, at this local spot, she was a server at, at this local spot that like the dream girl. And I yeah. was like, you're a perfect dream girl. Would you, do you want to be in my music video? And she's like, heck yeah. That's awesome. It was great. Yeah. Yeah. I had friends in it. My friend plays like Ducky, who's an amazing director and photographer in there. Yeah. You know, Rick Malambri, who was in step up three. I, I I wanted to turn it into like a mini movie. I was, I was really, I almost got my buddy Nick Swartzen in there. Oh, I was yeah. trying to get, I was trying to get people from the workaholics, uh, but uh, I lucked out having, you know, Dennis and Rick and Kylie. Yeah, for sure. So that came out in 2009. And the next album, like the portrait of a chameleon didn't come out until 2014. Were you doing production or were, were you 
doing other stuff in between? Cause that, well, that was like depression, moving to LA, trying to find myself again, getting a new manager, going down the voiceover acting world and trying to figure that out. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. And I, and I was, I was working, I, I was playing a lot of shows and I was producing, but I am really a procrastinator at getting things out. Okay. Um, I haven't been so much in lately. Like, uh, I mean, I put my, in 2020, I put my album out, which I'm like, should I have like COVID happened right then? I didn't get to tour it, you know? Yeah. So I, I didn't really get to tour my last album because I'm like, once you have like that break, it's like, I did some shows, I did virtual shows and whatnot, but, um, it's not the same. You right, know? Yeah. I, I'm not huge on social media. Like, uh, I love being in front of people's place because what I do, it's like a kinetic energy, and especially if I'm bringing people on stage and sampling them. And, and, you know, I like to immerse myself in the craft. Um, and it's really hard to do via video. And I'm trying to get over that. That's my, my goal of 2024. I'm going to start streaming more on TikTok, like a weekly and have it just set like a date. I haven't set what date it's going to be, but that's my goal for myself just to like communicate with my fans better and, and, and to have a challenge. Cause I love a challenge and, and setting goals. But, um, yeah, there was a big like, five year gap. I had all, I went through this imposter syndrome time, um, as a producer, never thinking my beats were good enough or never thinking I was good enough at that stuff. And then I had people, that were telling me to do certain things that, uh, that I was like, okay, it's just more people, you know, the business I'm not, uh, look, how can I say this? I just, I never think I've had good luck with people in my life that are handling my, my business or helping me on the path that I'm trying to set for myself. And so that was, that was a gap there after, uh, my Tommy boy experience, um, with that album, which was good. It was, it was, it was okay. And then I just kind of felt a little lost again, moving to LA where you didn't, I didn't know a lot of people trying to find my footing that took like two and a half years. So I, that's, and that's about like right when like 2012 happened and then I started doing the album and I had six, I had about six beats made for that portrait of chameleon. Okay. I had start again into the next song. I into- love Start Again. Oh my God, that's a killer way to open that album. So here we go A chance to start again The melody is calling me There's no time to pretend It's time to Thank you. And then, so yeah, I was working with my buddy who is a director and then I wrote your touch and they picked that up and that kind of springboarded it. And I had not today done, maybe almost done. Um, and then just more bad business thing happened. And I, and I, I was, I just, you know, I'm just like, man, yeah, <laughs> this industry, what am I, what am I doing wrong? You know? So I'm like, that's it. I'm just going to make so much music now. And now I make, so much music and I'm like, I'm not going to hold off to put it out anymore. And I, I'm doing sync licensing for TV and just, I just made, I'm producing other artists now. Um, oh, awesome. So I produced 
two artists before the pandemic. And then I just started working with more songwriters in Nashville. I've been flying to Nashville a lot. So, uh, <laughs> for your question, you're like, why do I take so long? <laughs> um, I just, it's the self doubt, you know what I mean? Uh, even when I'm like on fire and I think my, you know, I'm like, this beats hot. And then I'll, then I'll cut just a weird mental place and be like, and then it'll just stay on the computer and this, it does no good on the computer. Right. I'm like, I'm like, I have so many beats right now. Cause I, I may, I try make one a day, you know what I mean? They might not be finished compositions or anything, but right. I'm creating constantly. And that keeps my happiness level high, you know? Yeah. So, and I wasn't doing that before. I was just like playing video games and, yeah. and <laughs> playing shows, but I was like not doing the work. It was, it was finding myself again, getting my work ethic back, setting goals that are obtainable and, you know, just having a better outlook and being positive at this career. Cause the music industries, it's tough. And the landscape now is even tougher because like people don't buy music, like spend $8 on a caramel frappamacchiato or whatever. And they'll they get pissed if they don't get their thing anything else for free <laughs> yeah yeah exactly they get mad if, if they have to actually purchase music yeah and i that's all i do i mean yeah and, uh, I, love, <laughs> I buy so many vinyls still oh yeah i'm i i'm scared of vinyl i love i love i'll put this i love the size of vinyl i'm a photographer so i love the size of vinyl but I'm always frightened to play it because I'm. A, I, I think of myself as a kid, and when I was a kid, yeah. I ruined so much vinyl in the '70s and the '80s. I'm always go back to that when I put the needle down. Like, oh, I don't yeah, I mean, there's something so nostalgic about it. But if you're not going to be listening to it, there's no sense in in buying it. Like, I yeah. I have I have three record player. I have one, two. I guess there's two in there, but I have them in two areas in my house so I can just always throw it on and you know still go about my day and and I love it and and I don't buy a lot anymore but I buy specific ones that I've been hunting for you know what I mean oh yeah every city I go play and I'm digging I'm going into the crates and just like going to bookstores that have vinyl going to antique shops and and yeah hopefully, you know it's nice that there's like the record stores coming back the independent record store there's a lot of them there's a lot of great ones too yeah i'm fortunate we have one in town here so very fortunate for that because what's that called it's called ear food love it it's in yeah it's just right down in winchester and uh there's a couple more that have popped up in the area between where I would live and I where I, I've got a 45 minute commute. So we've got uh, a couple within that radius. So it's, they're starting to pop up again. So that that's good news. Yeah. I love it. It's, it's nice. I mean, especially now when everything's so, I don't know if it's just like commoditized or um, everything's just a commodity. Like everything's like a strip mall and it's just like, you have the same old things, you know, or it's it, like the same stores are everywhere. Yeah. Or it's all available online. You don't have to search for it. And that was part of the mm-hmm. fun is searching for it. Yeah. We have Zia records here in Vegas and they're amazing. Cause it's like all used, I mean, and new, but it's, it's massive yeah. and there's like three or four of them. And wow. I mean, I've sold so much stuff and gotten rare collector vinyl and just makes me so happy. That's awesome. <laughs> I don't collect much anymore. I, I have like, 
I used to collect so many different things, and I'm just like, I gotta stop collecting things. Like, I'm, what am I gonna be a hoarder? Yeah. Like, what is? <laughs> That's gonna be your next TV show. You're gonna be in hoarders. Yeah. No, thank you. So, so you've released a solo album with uh, strings, which I thought was brilliant because it, you know, stripped it all back, made it more of an. I don't want to say an acoustic, sound, but more maybe more or, organic. I don't know if that's mm-hmm. if yeah that's, for sure. That's, that was the goal. And no, it, you're, you're right on. You're right on the money. Yeah, acoustic, organic, and it put uh, the focus more on on, on the songwriting for me yeah. anyway. And you've done some really cool stuff. But the first question I have about that, well, two questions: was that <clears throat> something that you decided, or was it suggested to you? And when I looked up the stuff on on YouTube, speaking of streaming. There's, let me see, there's uh, one of the songs, uh, which one is it? Is it Survivor? Yeah, Survivor. That's actually, I think, my favorite song on that, but there's no performance video on YouTube. All of them have a performance video except for Survivor. I feel the darkness taking hold again, but I... to go or at least where i look that. i'll have to go fix that because i own it so i'll look yeah up that, could be just, that could be just a youtube thing uh, maybe. um i gave it all to my i mean all my fans i usually do an indiegogo campaign and so oh, all yeah. the people that were a part of that got to get that i sent it to them because they helped fund the whole thing yeah no that was all mine that was all my idea i've always felt that way because i love electronic music so much but as a songwriter sometimes the the bells and whistles of uh, electronic production can take away from the songwriters and i hope you don't necessarily do that but definitely my my music and my melodic sensibility and production style can be very busy and when i write a good song it should be able to be played on any instrument just acoustically you know and so that's what I've, I've, there's, there's other ones that I've want to do that I haven't performed live, like binary love. I love that melody I came up with. And, yes. you know, even though it's a highly electronic dance song, I, I would, you know, I'd love to hear that with just acoustic on an acoustic guitar or, or just a cool way of playing it on piano, which I will do. I have like a whole list of things I want to do. And, and you mentioned rebel without a cause. Like I wrote that on the piano freaking i don't know 12 15 years ago now and uh, i'm like oh i should just i should come up with another version of that you know or or flip another song you know in in certain in a certain way i would imagine prepping for that show is a lot different than prepping for your regular shows i have never been more stressed for a show in my life (laughs) that was so stressful not having just like a click because i because on some of those, I'm just the main looper and I got to like have something going for the string people to hear it. You know, it was just, and I, and I did this, I was trying to stream it to the the fans that 
that purchased the thing and there was bad Wi-Fi at the place. And oh. I didn't ask anyone to help me. I just did it on my own too. I was just like, why didn't I pay like to have an assistant that day? It was just <laughs> the rookiest mistake <laughs> ever. It was so stupid. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. It seems to me like playing piano and beatboxing is very difficult, but it didn't sound difficult for you was was it tough or was that something that you've been doing because you've comfortable doing both this thing you've been doing for a while yeah i, I it's it's definitely you know like patting your head and this <laughs> is scratching your head and what <laughs> out of your tummy or whatever it's it's uh yeah it takes time it takes you know i've been doing it for so long okay yeah and um yeah, and especially just that song too, because you know I did how many words, and that was just like a freestyle on violin by Andrew Jocelyn, which turned out beautiful. It did, and he, uh, so that was that was the one that was total improv on his part, right? He had no idea you're going to do that. Yeah, I just gave him the chords prior, and I was like, "Just do you, man," because I love his playing. So, yeah, so I I'd always wanted to do an album. I love strings. I love string arrangers, arrangements, all all the things, and I. I grew up listening in like in high school, I loved Duncan Sheik and he would always have these amazing compositions and the string arrangements were just so good. And then this electronic group called hybrid, they would always have like a 60 piece symphony with break beats and stuff. So oh, wow. I just, I'm actually going to get a quartet on this new song that I wrote this week too, because I, I've never really had them on the major albums. I just made an album with strings. So <laughs> I'm excited to have like real strings on a song that I'm putting out and I really love the song that I wrote. So oh, that is awesome. I'm very excited about that. I'm so glad you took a, took a listen to that because you know, not a lot of people know that, that, that it's out there when it yourself. A, it was amazing. Cause it definitely transformed. Every song was a transformation. So it, it was really awesome to hear the original version and then almost immediately go over and, and listen to the version of the string that's been, you know, stripped down and then, and then built back up. It's, it's brilliant. Oh, thank you so much. Wanderlust Unknown. That, yeah. I think that's my favorite album so far. Oh, thank you. Um, until probably this, the one you're going to put out next, but if the way the trajectory is going, because <laughs> I seem to like each album more as you go. But it's it's a little jazzier, a little, lot more Latin, uh, Latin. I was gonna say a little more Latino. I probably shouldn't say that. I don't know. A lot more Latin than your other releases. Mm -hmm. And For again, sure. the trouble, uh, the the trouble, the opener trouble is great. I mean, you you kick ass on the openers. Uh, yeah, that, that one is, uh, like, yeah, kind of getting out of your depression, getting out of your own way. And like, once you find yourself like, Ooh, I'm in trouble. Cause I just, you know, I found myself finally and you know, like things are going to be different. So that one was a big one. My mom's humming on that. I got recorded her. Oh, sweet. My I friend Casey Abrams is on upright bass fellow American Idol contestant. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, uh, my good friend Brandon Rogers, who was on my season with American Idol with me, uh, we wrote that. We wrote Pot of Gold. We just wrote the other one this week. Um, 
And, um, you know, one of my favorite people to, uh, collaborate with. And, um, you know, when you write with a good friend, they know you. So it's just, it's easier to write music. Like they know what you're really feeling and they can internalize it because they've also been there for you in other situations. So, man, we just have a great time writing. So I'm so glad you love that song uh, out of other ones. But yes, definitely jazzy. I, I, what record labels and people have wanted to do is put me in a box and I am an out of the box person. I don't believe there's a bad context for music ever. As a producer, I've produced all different types of music, but when I'm getting down to the nitty gritty for myself, it's always been hard. That, that's why like Portrait of Chameleon, that should have been two different EPs. It's like almost two different albums. Like one's like sexy, moody, atmospheric with like beatboxing and the other's like pop. And I, I wish I had separated those two with one or less unknown as like, okay, no synths, no samples, organic, acoustic, roads, upright bass, my guitarist is this amazing gypsy jazz guitarist, Luca Pino. He has a quartet called the Pino Noir Quartet. Oh, nice. And, uh, name. Yeah, he's incredible. <laughs> he's just an insane, insane master gypsy jazz player. And, uh, you know, spending the last decade with Postmodern Jukebox, I've always been a crooner and, and like, it, you know, not necessarily a jazz head. I've just always loved jazz, like especially classic jazz. Like, yeah. 30s, 40s, 50s, and oh, okay, and it's funny you said the Latin influences because it's funny because I don't know, but the polyrhythms and my guitar style is my guitarist. He's like, you're very Spanish influenced, and I'm like, what? Very Latin. Influenced. <laughs> and I'm like, he's like, yeah, the way you're doing this and going to this chord and playing at this because I never grew up playing with a pick. I was because my mom bluegrass. I play oh. finger pick. Okay. And so, you know, I play like that. And so I, what my bluegrass, early bluegrass inspiration is turned into Latin music. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so glad you like that album, man. I'm really proud of it. And that album is produced by me. It was recorded in LA for most of it. There's only one song that's co-produced by my friend Aaron Beaumont in New York, and that's Hard Start Speeding, oh, um, okay. which is the biggest production of the song, too. Um, he's an incredible musician and friend. And um, really proud of it, really happy with the way most of it turned out. I recorded differently. I recorded my vocals, different, my vocals differently. I just... Oh, really? I really wanted to put myself in... Uh, I was trying to... You know, I was like, what would I, if I made a Tribe Called Quest album mixed with like a jazz album, but my style with my pop songwriting, what would that sound like? So, you know, I got my friend Olivia Cooper Harris on there, kind of doing some Ella scatting on Made in America, which is a satire piece on where we were with, you know, our administration and just life in general. And right. um, really proud of that one too. And yeah, man, I've just, I set out, I, I made a whole nother album which turned into the private language, which was, is my new project that's out right now with my partner, KJ Saka.
format shifted, but at the same time I was making Wanderlust, I made this other album, which hopefully is going to come out this year. I'm going to have like maybe three different albums out this year. So. Oh, wow. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Crazy. I've just, like, like I said, I'm just hustling, hustling. <laughs> well, the highlights for me on Wanderlust Unknown, I, I got to say, I love all of the above because it's got this Antonio Carlos Yobim sound to it. The bossa nova as the sky sends supernovas brightly shining They illuminate your eyes I've been given this one chance to hopelessly romance I, just, I, I love him. Thank so you. Any- I love that. Thank you. Uh, that's actually another one that came from a dream. The same time when I wrote Rapture Love, I wrote All of the Above. <laughs> oh my so God. All of the Above is like a 15-year-old song. And I was just like, I finally have a place in, uh, for it on an album. That's awesome. And, and I love This Lonely Road because that guitar is sick. That bluesy, oh, it's it's a little different from the rest of the album with that bluesy yeah. guitar, but oh, that's good. Yeah, the 6-8 Keep Your Head Up song with my good friend Elliot Yamin. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's right. Other idol contestant. Yeah. Since you've left Idol and worked on your own stuff, I guess we kind of found out what the biggest change is when the association was made with American Idol, but after you kind of split ties with them, has anything else changed? Like your writing or oh man, your projection, you know, your career projection. I mean, I think everything changed after I was on that show. I, I, and you know, I've been surrounded by amazing, talented humans that have lifted me up and helped me along the way to grow, to be a better songwriter, to be a better human, and with every season i i sense that growth and and i try and mature you know with uh of course with what's put in in front of me and and keep myself uh inspired which is hard to do unless i'm going out and seeing bands all the time for me the normal things like music just used to always get me so stoked and now that there's this oversaturation with it i don't get as just like into it as as i used to and i'm trying to go back to the roots and just just hearing new music or going out and seeing yeah like uh, well because i'm so influenced i'm such a sponge being like basically a a mimic my whole life trying to emulate sounds with my my voice and as a producer so when i listen to things now i get i get really technical about it and i love the production styles that are happening now But I try not listen. It's so weird. Like I, I have to turn certain things on and off as a producer versus a songwriter versus if I'm making my own music, like I try not to listen to new music. So it's tough. Like if I'm working on other projects at the same time, which I need to listen to new music <laughs> to verse me, you know? So yeah, I, um, what was the question? <laughs> I got it. I, I guess uh, I was just wondering. So things changed for you once you had the association with American Idol. And now that it's been a few years since that, has anything changed 
now that you're, you're, I don't know, you're not separated from American Idol, but you know, you, you're Blake Lewis. You're not Blake Lewis from American Idol. I mean, I'm forever synonymous with that television show until it goes <laughs> off the air and people forget about it. So <laughs> like, uh, it's not, neither a good thing or a bad thing. So that's, that's tough to say. Like, I feel like I've changed and I haven't changed. You know what I mean? I think all the good and bad of my character's design still with me and I've tackled things. I've tackled depression and loneliness and fear and acceptance and patience and things that I've done in my life since then. So I think a lot of things have changed if, you know, when I put things into perspective as me and my growth and my journey, as far as what uh, people think about me or their expectations of who I am or the things I can't control, I don't know. You know, I don't know if it's changed for the world around me. You know what I mean? Well, so it's a tough question to it's, answer. It's funny you mentioned that because I can hear a lot of what you mentioned, what's, what's changed with you in Wanderlust Unknown because that album, it's your most mature album. You know, it, mm -hmm. there's like a relaxed swagger to it. And if that keeps up, if you, if you, if the trajectory is going that way, I cannot wait to hear what you're doing now, because that's what I loved about Water Lust Unknown. Oh, sweet. Okay. So I think the change then for what I think you're saying is like, I've, like I said, I've learned to put myself and really more defined who I am as an artist, because this next, that's why I, I made a kind of an experimental album with the private language where my voice is format shifted. So it doesn't even sound like me. Okay. It sounds like my writing and production, but it, it's not my voice. It's like, and so some people like it. Some people don't like it at all. Like my fans that like my voice are like, what is this? <laughs> and it was, I wasn't even attached my name to that. That was like an experiment. You know, I'm wearing a mask. Like you can't see my face, you know, just for fun, like to be artistic and, and do something different um, with all these beats that I made that I was just going to like release as a mixtape as whatever. And then it became a project, which is great. And we got signed and it's going to come out this year. The other two, my two EPs that are coming out this, like I said, like Wanderlust Unknown is cohesive in its entirety. And that's what I want to do going forward. So my dance side conflicts with the singer songwriter side production wise. So right. I'm making like a night and day EPs. Oh, nice. Uh, one's going to be dance music and that's the nighttime. And that's going to be like heartbreak on vinyl. Oh. And then the next one is going to be wanderlust, but not the jazz, just like almost pop singer songwriter, you know, more acoustic guitar. There's going to be a little bit of synthesis stuff in there, but I'm going to have this song with strings in there. I just did another one. It's going to be like more 808s, beatboxing and acoustic instruments and just simpler, you know, because I tend to do a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So uh, I already have the name for one of them, but I'm not going to say it right now, but I'm very excited. I'm going to announce that soon to my fans and do another Indiegogo campaign and uh, oh, see who, who wants to jump on board on help executive producing. Oh, that is awesome. So are you planning on playing out live in 2024 or touring or staying regional? Yeah, I would love that. I definitely need to tour or it's tough. Uh, I I'll tend to do like five dates on the East coast and 
more on the West Coast because I live here. So yeah, it depends. Uh, it depends on how fast I can get these things done and out <laughs> and set that goal because right now I have one, two, three, four, five. I got like six or seven songs. Only and out of those seven songs, five of them are kind of done. Oh, so. Wow. Yeah, let's just, if I can whoop my own button into shape, we'll see how it goes. (laughs) Well, I'm excited because like I said, I've enjoyed each album, each subsequent album more. And Wanderlust Unknown is definitely my favorite of your catalog so far. And uh, I'm just, I'm really excited based on what you've told me already. So I'm I'm, uh, looking forward to it and... Hopefully you can come out to the East Coast and, and play somewhere in like the Washington DC area because I will definitely come out and see the show. I'll bring my camera. I'm a concert photographer, so I'll bring the I love that. shoot some shots and hand them over to you. Heck yeah. I don't what was that? Not the wits end. Where was it? I played somewhere out there. I guess it was like the border of like Virginia or Maryland, maybe. Okay. Yeah. It, there's uh well there's a there's a bunch of places. Jam and Java. Jam and Java. That's the one. Oh, yeah. Out in Vienna. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, my, my dog's been... Thanks, man. Oh, no Sorry, my dog was just like getting into something right then. So where's the best way for people to find you on social media, follow you? And yeah, anything backslash Blake Lewis. Anything, yeah. BlakeLewisOfficial.com is my website, but... Uh, I'm on Instagram more than anything. I'm, I'm trying out this TikTok thing um, and I'm going to start doing the live stream on that very soon. So, awesome. but anything backslash Blake Lewis. Yeah. Awesome. Well, man, this has been a blast. I'm so glad we finally got to get together and, and, and do this and appreciate Tommy putting in a good word for me. Old, good old Tommy Caprio. Yeah, man. I love that dude. Uh, yeah. Outside. <laughs> oh, shit. Blake just ran away to check on his dogs. <laughs> my dog, my poor dog. Oh no, what happened? My poor dog. He just pooped inside. He's oh no, old. he's almost sixteen. Oh, took a little bit today. Oh no, poor, poor little guy. We will wrap this up real quick. So, uh, I can let you pick up the dog poop and, <laughs> and have, have you the rest of your evening. an ocean above the sea into your arms bodies in motion this is where love will find us under the stars i'm over the moon oh beautiful girl They shine for you, night. She whispers softly to the universe. Lost at sea, our wonderland. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.